Welcome to the Future Church Podcast with Anthony Delaney. If this podcast helps you, forward it to others, give us a review and subscribe today. For additional thoughts and resources, visit anthonydelaney.com. Hi and welcome to the Future Church Podcast. I'm Anthony Delaney, leader at Ivy Church in Manchester and founder of Launch Church Multiplication Catalyst. God is doing a new thing and this podcast is where I hope to unpack and help to showcase the future thinking of practical, professional and prophetic voices in church, leadership and culture to help us perceive and respond to the new reformation revolution that we're living through. So welcome. I'm joined today by Alan Hirsch, founding director of Forge and 100 Movements and author of several brilliant books, including 5Q, The Forgotten Ways, and more recently, Reframation. This is a wide-ranging conversation with Alan, where we discuss lessons learned from chess, the need for soft eyes, liminality, and what that means, and more as we look together at what has changed in recent months. So have a listen and be sure to subscribe. We've got lots more conversations coming up with some fantastic guests. The other week um, here, I had a a very interesting and strange thing happen when Joel, my son, came and he was in the other room doing the social distancing thing. But as I looked at him, he looked like he had four eyes and he kind of, his face went all fuzzy and I couldn't see him properly. and, uh, And I said, hey, what's happening? And Zoe, with being an eye nurse, she said, uh, oh, sit down, did some tests, got a pen. Can you see this? Can you see that? And I said, yeah, that's all fine here. But off in the distance, uh, that picture on the wall, I know what it's supposed to say, but all the words are kind of jumbling together. And uh, she took me into hospital where she works on the way. The, 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 um, the, the traffic lights were all funny, you know, running together. They did tests. They did other tests. They tested my my nerves, my eyesight, my various things, I ended up having blood tests. And I was thinking, and the guy at the end of it, the doc, one doctor said, well, maybe you're just getting, you're old and you're going to need glasses and this is just happening and all of that. And I said, okay, maybe that's it. And I was thinking, I don't want to wear glasses, but I've always had really good eyes. That's the thing, I've always had very good eyes. So I was like, and I remember hearing somewhere, I think it was Wesley apparently, who like had great eyesight until the day he died or something like that. So I've claimed that for my own. <laughs> Lucky and boy. Day, yeah. <laughs> and the next day, I woke up in the morning, it was fine, and it had been fine ever since. But it was just interesting to see the world differently for a while and to see it blurry and then effectively to reframe next day. And, uh, you know, it was quite scary and disorienting. And I wonder if the times we're living in now, prophetically, that's a kind of everything's suddenly gone fuzzy enough that now we're going to re-see. And, you know, so just interested in your kind of thoughts around some of that with this reframe and reframation. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I quote, um, I'm just trying to remember his name right now. Um, he wrote The Doors of Perception as well. Uh, what's his name? Aldous, Hux- Aldous Huxley. Mm. Uh, Huxley, uh, a British philosopher, very, very, quite a brilliant man. And um, um, uh, he, he, was, he always had bad eyesight. And, uh, um, and at one point he, he got a particular kind of disease. I, I give it the name in the book. I can't remember what it is. But he effectively, he says, you know, he, he became effectively blind. 
and um, he, he couldn't be treated. You know, there was no treatment for it. So what he did is he, being the philosopher that he is, very, he, he actually taught himself to see again. And what he, he said, there's a difference between um, what you visually see and then how you interpret what you're seeing. So like your eye can take in a fair bit of information, but it already screens a fair bit out. And there's a bit of a, you know, there's a technical side to what he was on about, but he actually taught himself to see again against the grain of what the doctors had said. And it's interesting that um, I think, you know, when Paul was struck blind too, right? What was that about? You know, like three days he was blind and then, uh, you know, he, he has to think and he comes out seeing differently again. Uh, much of the, the, the book is about, and this in Reformation, the book is about, uh, uh, towards the end of the book, middle end, you know, to, to what does it mean to look again at what we've taken to be so familiar that we really don't understand it, that it's really the, sometimes the hardest thing to understand is right under our noses, you know, we, that um, sometimes it, you know, another image I use in another book called Five Cues about having soft eyes, having playful eyes, not hard eyes or prejudiced eyes, you really know the answer, you, you, you know, you, it's really set. Um, uh, but learning to kind of see again, like as a child would see, be playful, playful eyes, innocent eyes, a very, very important aspect of learning um, and uh, is to look again. And, and I think it's, it's, there's something in that, Anthony. So, yeah, there's something to learn there. Yeah, and I suppose like here, there's, there's things that we would have never thought we would have seen that we, have now, we are now seeing happen, like for... Obviously, for Boris Johnson to come on and talk about the inalienable right of the Brits to go in the pub, you know, if if that if somebody had said a year ago even they'll close pubs in a day, you're not going to be able to go. There would you know you would have expected there to be rioting <laughs> in the streets. You would have been like you know you'd be like oh you know we need the pubs and and all of that. And obviously people are missing them, but but at the same time there's this sense in which. Um, Things are being reshaped, and you know, actually, I'm interested that people seem to be a lot more compliant, perhaps, than we might have expected, and going along with things, etc. Um, I wonder, I wonder, in terms of churches now, that you know, we're seeing a difference in the UK. I think that we've said we can't meet. The government said you can't meet, so we're not meeting. We're meeting in different ways. The Americans. They seem to have this thing going of we must meet many, many of them, and like the, the meeting is church. So you you can't not meet. So we're going to protest. That's our inalienable right. One of them, etc. And I wonder if different. Um, you know, what, what what's that saying to us around around how we perceive church and what church is really? Yeah, I, I think it's very. True. I mean, the part of the Americans is, you know, it's like, um, uh, I can't remember the guy said it, but I quote it all the time. Uh, it's hard to get someone to understand something when their salary depends on them not understanding it. And um, in a sense where, you know, these, a lot of people who've actually built the very system, they're on the top of it. They're sitting there on top of the systems that they built. It's very hard for a person like that to see the problems in the system. Uh, and and so you know you unless something drastic happens, which I believe is, has happened to us now, 
And whether we like it or not, um, uh, you know, maybe parts of America might go back to normal. But I can assure you, New York, where I live right now, is never going to go back to that normal. Uh, it, it, it's barely surviving in that mode anyway. The church is doing a hard, you know, having a hard time in New York City, but it's just not going to be able to survive unless they find a new way of being. Um, that's done. The metaphor I'm using at the moment on that, Anthony, is just for us. It's a good metaphor. I think it's something we're thinking about is that if you want to learn the game chess, then I suggest you take your queen out first. Um, you know, willingly take your queen out and then your, your opponent will keep the queen. And yes, you will lose many, many games. But in the process of losing those games, you're going to learn what all the other units on the chessboard will, are able to do. Mm. When you've actually finally mastered all the other ones, you can put your queen back in and, you know, you, you're going to really know how to play chess. Uh, the problem is for us, bro, we've, we've so overrided our queen being, it depends who you are, if you Baptist, it's the sermon, or it's Pentecostal, it's the meeting, you know, whatever it is, the five, whatever it is, it's the Sunday-based experience is the queen. And we've totally overrided of it. Uh, to the point we don't know what the other elements of Ecclesia are capable of doing. We don't even recognise that they are there. So many people can't even recognise, is there such a thing of a church beyond a Sunday? Well, I, I mean, the problem with that, bro, again, this goes to eyes, right? This is what you're talking about. If, if we are not able to recognise that, uh, I'll, t- I'll tell a story and then ask the question. Uh, I heard this uh, British guy, he was a Ghanaian um, in, in England, um, saying, you know, like everyone's saying the church is closed and the church is closed. And it was a short little message he gave. He says, I, I suggest you the church isn't closed. The church has opened up in a thousand other places. I said, yes, he's, he, he knows it. He, he can see the thing, what's happening here, is that the church is actually being sent. We now have to be a witness in all the various places in society where we all live, you know, live work and play. Uh, and... The, the challenge I would say to a lot of leaders now is to say, when we look at churches like that, most leaders, their current definitions of church don't allow them to acknowledge that that indeed is ecclesia. It is a legitimate expression of church. Well, then I say to them, if you can't see that, how do you understand the New Testament? Because the New Testament looks awfully like that. You know, if you say they're not legitimate possibilities, at least, of ecclesia, how do you understand the New Testament? They don't have all the stuff. They don't have, you know, all the stuff we expect that you have to have to be church. So it's a real challenge for us to look again at what we've become so darn familiar with, um, you know, that, that we, we don't know, you know, we don't even know what we're looking at. So we have to train ourselves to say, ah, that's church. That's one expression of church. It's not the only expression, but it is it legitimate expression of Ecclesia. And if we can do that, we, that's where the possibility reveals itself to us. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's reframing church, isn't it, then? It's interesting. When the, one of the optometrists sat me down and everything had been blurry, and then she just sort of went, uh, well, let me try it like this and put this extra slide in. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. It was like then I could I could see it, but it was it was it was like I didn't realize how bad it was 
until I could see yeah. properly again while she put this different kind of lens in there in some way. So I wonder if effectively, you know, some of what we're now seeing is, is, uh, is you know, I'm not saying God sent the plague, if you like, and all this kind of stuff. All it's interesting when you think about that, when I think about the Martin Luther and the Reformation, but at the same time he was writing about the plague and how Christians should be in the plague. And, you know, that there was some things in history that were conspiring together to force us perhaps to be able to do this because maybe we would never have let go of those that, that those kind of golden handcuffs I suppose you were talking about before where you know if my salary is dependent upon my church being better than the church down the road then but then my, but your friend Michael Frost has been saying that the danger again of that could be that now with video with everything going on a Sunday are we just in danger of replacing the the what you know the old with a new that is too like the old i'm interested curious about what you think about that yeah so uh, well again in in america again uh, most of our ministry i'm right now i'm in australia at the moment we we got out actually just before because we doing half time here half time there but anyway we're back in australia right now but as soon as i can i'm going to get back to to new york but um you know, um, it, it is interesting, like, you know, the Americans have swung over to kind of just online uh, streaming kind of church. And and um, as, as and um, it's because, in a sense, that's the easiest kind of, you know, the easiest swing for them. I mean, many of them are multi-site anyway, and we're really doing video venues. So it's it kind of in the logic of what they currently were doing. The problem is going to be this, is that I think if they think that's the only thing they need to do, and that's going to resolve their problem. I, I think it's. I think it's. I, I. I don't think that's going to work. Well, partly the problem is, we're always a mouse click away from watching someone more interesting. You know. You know. We're all competing against each other now. So now, you know, every church is competing against the best. You know, the more professional shows. And and the thing is that, I think if you're only relying on that to keep the church together and not looking at how we use, you know, smaller groups of of Christians together as the primary metaphor. Um, I, I think I think it's I think it's a, it's a big mistake. Let me give you an example. Um, there's an interesting story. Um, um, Josh Kelsey is a guy, part of our. I don't know if you met him, but he he's um, he's a young leader and doing probably the, the most dynamic, the largest church in Manhattan. It's a Pentecostal C3. It's an Australian dude. Actually, the Aussies do quite well in New York for some reason. Um, and, I mean, they've got this really super sexy service and all that stuff, about 3,000 mem- member church in, in Manhattan, which is pretty, pretty awesome. I'm going to go with five sites. And I, so he phoned me um, recently and he's like, and, you know, we're, you know, that's all gone now. I mean, like, you know, it's exceedingly expensive to have that anyway. Most of the people that we uh, that come to our church were young adults just barely making it, you know, professionals, but, you know, many of them are losing their jobs. They, New York City expects, you know, 50% attrition of, of, uh, of their businesses. I mean, that's, that's mind-boggling, right? Mm. You think about closure of, of businesses, up to 50% won't open again. Wow. And there's a lot of people involved in that. So, so they, they're going to lose a lot of people. But it's interesting now, it's funny, um, Anthony. He he started. He came from a tradition back in uh, here in the 
in, in Australia, there was really a house church movement uh, that went Pentecostal, and, but it still retained a house church kind of agenda. So he came, when he arrived in New York City, uh, he looked at the city and he said, well, I mean, it's a very challenging city, as you, as you know, right? Um, and he says, well, uh, uh, he, he designed what he called this, uh, the, this dinner party model that the church was designed around these dinner parties, which is to be the very basic platform on which you would build. Uh, they ended up you know, having about 90 of these dinner parties, which is a kind of a, what we call a mid-sized kind of community. They have dinner together. They minister to each other. There's four leaders in every of these groups, right, so that two are being trained or apprenticed to actually lead their own ones. So there's always an, there's a pipeline of apprenticeship going down. Mm. He says they are thriving. At the moment right now, they're doing online. They've swung to that. They're having over 20,000 people now on, on the weekend watching. And then what they're doing is they're pushing them in, you know, towards these very vigorous dinner, dinner party churches that they've got. And they're churches. They call them churches. Um, and so they've got the very structure, and they are thriving. It's just interesting. Um, and not simply relying because he's saying maybe we'll never gather again in the same way, ever in the same way. So he's actually burnt the bridges on that, burnt the ships, and he's heading in this direction. And like I said, they're doing very well. Yeah. And that, that's well, a mega church. And it's not like you would expect. <clears throat> yeah. It's like the game has changed. And some, I mean, I, interestingly for me personally, in the, I think because my prime, well, a primary gift in mind would be a communication gift. So it's just interesting that stuff has opened up and I've been asked to do a lot more, like God TV, for instance, kind of things and stuff like that, which I've done some things for them, kind of from home. And, and then and our, our online presence has gone, it's gone crazy. We've had a lot more people. But that's because at this, at this stage, early on, while it's all going, I've kind of retained the steady the ship the guy at the helm for a little while but now i'm getting to the point i don't want to i don't want to stay in that place because like you say then i'm getting into competing with stephen furtick or somebody else and and it becomes about who's the best favorite preacher which is never going to be what we're meant to be stepping into that space anyway so how do we handle the tension and i think it is a tension to be managed as andy stanley would say rather than a problem to be solved how do we handle the tension between you know we we, we were doing daily um thoughts from all of us we're all putting like an eight o'clock thought on facebook people have loved it it's been really encouraging for them and then our guys actually we, we've recently changed it so saturday is a day off and so they said can we not do it on saturdays we said sure so but then we've had people coming on saying, where's the Saturday faith lift? And it's like people soon become dependent upon, upon a, a something, whatever. You know, is it your phrase about whatever you win them with, you've got to keep them with? You know, how do we not feed that? You win them with, you win them too. Yes, that's it. Say it again. And together, what you win them with, you win them too. Mm. Yeah, so it's that tension yes. between. So like, you know, I don't want us to do if terrible. You use entertainment. Yeah, if you use entertainment, you have to keep going in there because that's what they've been won with, and so it becomes you know it's it's expected it's what they bought into, and uh, becomes a problem. Yeah, no. So you know, I think one of the dangers is and it just plays on that queen thing. Um, another way of thinking about that: if if the only tool that we've got is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. 
And the problem is that we've been rewarded. We've both created systems that highlight the pulpit or the or the gathering um, as if it's the only thing um, that what the church is on about. And there are other dimensions of church, you know, that, that really are very underdeveloped. So I would say one of the biggest flaws in Western models of church is that it has no real understanding of discipleship and disciple-making. Mm. That's a big problem. And, you know, so we're putting all our money and time into kind of weekend services, but they don't disciple people. They create a consumer mentality. Yeah. They create um, audiences, not communities. It's an audience. And an audience is always critical. Um, so I, I would use the MDNA, right? You've looked around that. So like most Western churches really suck at discipleship, and that's a problem. But they they also lack um, uh, a notion of the sending church. They're so dependent on attractional modes, come to us on our terms, that they don't know what it means to be sent and to be a missional church and to incarnate in different parts of society, which is what something that movements have to do. Uh, to learn how to go and stay, you know, to to contextualize both the church and the gospel into new settings. That's a discipline, but we haven't, we're underdeveloped there. Yeah. Because we over-rely on attractional kind of form. Uh, you can go around, so APEST, you know, so we've majored on the shepherd teacher kind of model of ministry pastor teacher. You don't really have any understanding what the other ones do. Well, that's a problem, you know, and now we're going to have to learn that actually, if anything, now we have to engage in apostolic capacities now in order to design a church that's scalable and is able to actually deal properly with the kind of COVID crisis. So we have to kind of, you know, so it's all that underdeveloped part that's been missing that we now have to re-engage again. And then the organic systems piece, you know, how do we organize as a viral network that, you know, that's a different way of organizing to the classic way we've organized and all this stuff, getting over risk aversion, you know, so I would use the six elements of MDNA in forgotten ways mm. as an assessment to show up our strengths and weaknesses at this point. And that, yeah. that would be a good audit of our system. Yeah, because right now those cracks are showing. Yeah. By the, 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 if you put a system under pressure, you see where the cracks are. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's yeah. where, where we, we've, I think, what is happening. A friend of mine said uh, early on, he said something like, now we're going to see when the tide goes out, who's wearing trunks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and when we stand up in front of a video, you know, what we got underneath. Yeah, so <laughs> I've heard some people getting really caught out on that one. <laughs> I um I, I'm gonna I'm interested actually in your the chess metaphor. I've been running around in my head and thinking actually maybe maybe just to push in on that a little bit as well that actually when you do that one thing that can happen is I mean another thing to do with queens comes to mind is that the pawns that keep on going the ordinary pawn that is just another pawn in you know just keeps on going and keeps on going and keeps on going and then comes to a point when he reaches the other side of the board and then you say that's a queen crown me yeah crown me because like they've gone from being the pawn and actually they could be a, they could be a rook you know or they could be the bishop but usually oh, yeah. you make them the queen 
So, yeah. so maybe there's something around that. Around a, you know, now is the time for the. No, I've never thought of that. That's that's excellent. I I think that could be really you know chess metaphors are really interesting. Yeah. Um, the other one is that you know there's there's a thing in chess that it's zimz zimzuzug or something. They got a name for it. It's kind of a situation where you you have to move, but any way you move is a bad idea. It's not going to work for you. So it forces you on the back foot, like in that. Any and and what it what it ends up in is a system that any move that you make is a problem. So if you think about the way we built church, if you think of it like as a whole lot of, um, you know, tiles like it built up like, now if you take try to take out a tile out of any part of that system, it's going to collapse the system. Right? And so the problem is that we built a, a very fragile. It's what we call fragile a fragile organization that is very, very vulnerable. And it's a leadership fault. I mean, honestly, um, we are so singularly unprepared for this moment, Anthony. Mm. I'm amazed at how unprepared we are. Mm. Um, you know, we will find resources, but I think the, the attrition rate is going to be very, very high. Um, we will find the resources. I believe that the answer is latent in us. We do. We could find that. Um, I, I remember two, uh, being cornered by two big, Six foot boofy Baptist dudes, right? Um, at a meeting, I was talking somewhere about liminality or risk, you know, and 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 learning in risk based environments and innovation that comes from it, right? Because we, and they they literally cornered me and said, "Alan, you you're saying we should all be innovators, but we're not all innovators, are we?" And they were like, "Fingers on, we're not all innovators, are we? We can't all be innovative." And they, and they was, you know, was not asking a question, they were stating something. I said, oh, hmm, uh, yeah, hmm. unless your life depends on it. If your life depends on it, you'd be amazed at how innovative you can be. Wow. Human beings are remarkable. If you put in a situation that, that forces you to because your life is dependent on it, or failure is real, you will find solutions, I promise you. And yeah. everyone can be that. And I think we're in that moment now. And I'm actually very excited about what might actually come out on the other side of this because there'll be new ways of doing church if we're willing to learn. And yes. if we, you know, we're willing to kind of go on that journey of learning with God. God wants us to be successful and we, you know, we can follow that. Yeah. Amen. And, what the, and the closest, I suppose, you see, when I've had conversations sometimes with leaders, what we've tended to, a lot of UK people tend to face across the pond to America and that's really useful. And, uh, you know, I have friends like Dave Ferguson, and others. I'm so grateful to be part of New Thing Network. And they say organic <laughs> systems are, are good. And they're the systems guys. Um, but then the other side of New Thing is people like Oscar Muriu and Josh Howard and people who work in India and various African nations that I'm connecting with too. And I was in a conversation recently with Dave and Oscar where we, we talked about how um, I said, you know, I don't think all of our learning can come from you guys with your org charts and the business stuff. I you know, I said, it's a bit like armies. You've got Dave, the, the US army, huge army, lots of resources, lots of tech. The British army, less resources, stuck together with a bit of gaffer tape, but we work in teams and we're quite strategic and we'll have a go anyway. <laughs> and then uh, I says, but then the, the Kenyan guys, they're like AK-47, um, and can live on chewing gum for three weeks. You know, they just sort of... <laughs> and, 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 uh, and it's like, um, I need some of that too. 
you know <laughs> the resilience of of that of the you know so you I mean i know that forgotten ways etc in various ways you go back to the suffering church the persecuted church and uh, you know the, i i do wonder i think in some nations where authoritarian powers are seeking and and uh, you know once power is is received is rarely and slowly given back what you know is there any any sense of attention around some of that and how can we be not fearful but careful i suppose in that sense and what can we learn from people in tougher places uh, who've already because the church that we see how it wasn't prepared but the church that they've lived through has, has never expected anything different right yeah i'll tell you a story actually uh, involving that i call him monkey mike mike frost my dear friend um he's a mischievous kind of monkey man i call him so um anyway this is uh, a story because he, he heads up a, a a mission training system for the baptist union in the seminary right so he takes a, a regular trips mission trips in this case he went they went to um to Cambodia, and uh, at one point they uh, were close enough to the Chinese border to smuggle some Chinese uh, leaders into Cambodia to meet with the t- with a group of students. And they spent a day with these Chinese leaders, like translating and all that stuff. And and, um, and at the end of the day, you know, they told their story, and they said, "Brothers, can can we pray for you?" And they said, "What do you want us to pray for?" So um, so the Chinese guys said, oh, you know, at the moment uh, we, uh, you know, it's illegal for us to meet with more than 20, 25 people and we can get into big trouble. So can you pray about that we can have bigger meetings like, you know, you know like you guys in the West? It says, uh, um, so right now we, uh, another thing we can pray about at the moment, um, we, um, we have nowhere to train leaders. Uh, we, so in the local church, we have to train our leaders and we don't have all the resources that we need, you know. So I wonder whether you can pray that we can get some sort of organization that we can, you know, tr- train leaders with, you know. And uh, so the other one is that we, we can't own buildings at the moment. Um, uh, you know, can we also, you know, can you pray that we might be able to get some buildings like you guys in the West? And Michael said that he, he in all honesty, could not pray for them. Uh, for those things. It's the very things that were keeping them, that if they would have got any of those things, they would have ended up probably in the same kind of problems that we are. It mm-hmm. was keeping them, you know, so that being in persecution kept them in that condition, what I call liminality, where they were in this constant way of relating to each other, which was fundamentally different and richer because they had to survive by banding together and small, you know. So they were much more innovative being. Um, you know, in the smaller, more, you know, and that if they went the kind of classic pathways, which we would see as institutionalization, it might have undermined and would have almost certainly have undermined the, the movement. Interesting story, eh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, is that thing that opened doors, Eddie Lyle, a friend of mine who hopes to run open doors over here, said that, you know, very often that when he'd ask, he'd go to all these countries and say, what can we pray? What, they, they would always pray for us that we would be shaken out of our comfort zone and that we wouldn't <laughs> be dependent. So maybe we're, you know, part of this is the answer to some of their prayers, that we would... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, it's definitely uh, what I 
cold in again forgotten ways, but uh, is an adaptive challenge. It's good. I think it's a good word because it's a good phrase. Um, because an adaptive challenge comes in two forms. One is uh, adapt or die. That's one form. You will either find a new form or you will die. Um, and that's how it goes. Um, China, uh, for instance, the underground church under persecution had to find a new form. All the institution was removed. They had to find it or they would have disappeared, like Russia did, effectively. Um, so that's one, adapt or die. The other one is compelling opportunity. Mm. So a good opportunity is a very good reason to, to change. And what we find now is that crisis and opportunity are actually, it is a crisis, but man, is there some real opportunities here. If we're willing to learn here and yeah. adjust and to repent, that's one of the things actually I'm very, very super kind of intrigued by, this idea of metanoia and repentance. But we've got to be willing to let go, to unlearn in order to relearn. And I think you can't have it all. You have to learn to let go in order to grab new things. So what do we have to let go here in order to learn again? And uh, so that's just one interesting aspect of it here, the metanoia. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose I'd link that in, in my head. Actually, in a minute, I'll, if you, I'll, I'll, I'll tee up the question while I talk, which is where are you going in Scripture at the moment that's helping you understand some of this present moment and the future? So but the thing that comes to mind for me is when uh, the Lord talks about new wineskins and new wine won't be poured out um, into the old wineskins, but then he says, and nobody having tasted the old wine wants the new wine because they say the old is better. And I just wonder whether there's come a point even in this where actually that we're being forced into the new wineskins that we've been praying for years, Lord, pour out the new wine, pour out the new wine. And he's been like, well, it would be ruined in the present things that you want me to pour them into. Wow. I'm yeah. too, you know, he's, he's too wise for that. <laughs> so, uh, wow. so that's just making me think, what are the new... Or maybe the old, you know, I did read that the, the only way you can take an old wineskin and basically smash it to bits and soak it and, you know, uh, and do, you know, and, and make it supple again. And then it can expand and be useful. But it's really got to be pulverized and anointed in order to be able to be used again. So that's a picture right. I've been sort of struggling, thinking through in terms of what's maybe happening now is we're getting the new wineskins that we were praying for, but they don't look like that, but it's because new wine yeah. is being poured out. So well, yeah, that's a very, it's a very powerful image. Very powerful image indeed. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, I think for me, uh, yes, should we be looking now? Um, well, you know, so for me, I think, um, you know, you, you asked your question, what, what I'm learning from scripture. Mm. Um, you know, having just celebrated Easter and Passover, I'm Jewish uh, by heritage. So my family celebrates Passover. And um, Passover is a, is a perfect story of liminality. You know, when you think about like a group of slaves escape the superpower and they, they, they're on the run, right? And this, the army's after them, right? You think about it. And, uh, you know, they... You know, there's about to be destroyed. They, God saves them, like, takes them through the, the Red Sea, you know, destroys their enemies, you know. They end up in the desert, which is a, is a place of terrible liminality. And they're there for 40 years. And, you know, this is constant pressure of not 
having enough food or having to learn to follow the guidance of the Lord. And it's, it's a place where they shaped to be Israel, you know, in that desert place. Well, that's, of course, the story behind, you know, our Passover lamb, who's Christ, who's, you know, is a recapitulation of the whole Passover story. I want to simply say there is that liminality, the conditions of challenge and ordeal and risk and humiliation and shaming and loss are very deeply embedded into our story. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us, you know, and we will thrive in this. I mean, I think the real, the true church will, will actually discover resources deep within the gospel itself. Mm. Uh, the cross is very much a place of utter liminality and yet the resurrection on the other side. So I think, you know, there's this, we have to ascend into the valley of the shadow of death and there we learn. But we will, there will be a brighter, you know, something will happen on the other side, but I think it will be a new version. So I'm hoping that, you know, that's the case. I also get the image um, I got the other day. You know where, where Scripture says that God tests us? And I think in, in Peter there's this notion of uh, like being, gold is being refined. It's like being burnt in a furnace, right, to cleanse away, you know, all the, uh, the, the uh, unclean, all the, you know, whatever they call that, other bits, the dross, right? I think that maybe, you know, and this is what God does, all he tests his people, and maybe this is one of, one of the things where maybe a lot of dross has been burnt off as well. You know, you know, not sure, but it might, it might, I suspect it is. And I think God is sovereign over these events, you know, and he'll use them to cleanse us, purify us. So, yeah. Good. Interesting. Um, yeah. Interesting how scripture comes alive in some of these, mm. these pieces of scripture come really alive, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. When, Perhaps we, uh, yeah, we learn to depend more on, 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 on a word. You need a word from the Lord in these days rather than just another yeah. word off the news, you know, uh, or some other kind of thing. It's like people, yeah. we, I mean, I think it is interesting. We've just, some figures just been released yesterday, whatever we think around this, that, you know, and I do think it's a, a, a time for a potential harvest through social media and these kind of things that, I can't remember all the figures, but it was saying like 18 to 25 year olds in Britain, there's like a, a quarter of them have gone online and watched the church service. Um, people are saying that they're praying in this time who've never prayed before in this survey. There's all kinds of, and, and you know, I've seen, I've put, I did a Facebook thing on Good Friday outside the hospital after I dropped Zoe off, and it had like, I don't know, 6,000 views really quickly, but then the comments afterwards, connections with guys I was in the police with. Guys, I've been at school with people who have, ne have never would darken the doorstep, but now they're engaged. Yeah. And it's this yeah. I think this is part of this. You know, could this really actually be a season of harvest? Um, yeah. if, if so, so for off the back of that, together with Josh Howard, we're putting something together. It's only about you to pray for on the on the eighteenth uh, of May. We, we we just I just contacted loads of evangelists. So your friend Christine Kane's going to do one for us, and many others. We're going to try and do like 24 hours online. Here's the gospel. Here's, my, here's a five-minute testimony. Here's the gospel. Here's how you become a Christian and why and what you do next. And we're connecting with the no place left guys to get some discipleship groups going. And then again, testimony, 15-minute, an evangelist, five minutes. Here's what you do now you've done that. And just keep it rolling and rolling and rolling and try and get that on YouTube. It's a crazy idea, but it's only been going a, a week 
as we speak, but but it, there seems to be building some momentum. So I'm, I'm you know, yeah. I'm saying that so you're aware and you could be praying for it. But I think that you know, of the of the five, the apes, yeah, we need the apostolic. I think most of the prophets, everybody's saying, kind of missed this if they were prophetic. Nobody really can say, well, I knew that was going to be happening and all that spoke into the moment, but now we need to be prophetic into it. I, I read something that said that most pastors in, in a survey were asked, what are you, what's taking up your time? And it was like 65% what we're going to do on Sunday, 25% how do we look after our people and do pastoral stuff. So the shepherd teacher thing seems to still be working, <laughs> you know, <laughs> But but the, how you know what what which what in this season I'm thinking I want to release be part of releasing the evangelists especially as an evangelist. What, yeah. How else can we do that? We probably got about five ten minutes more, but you know I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on on in the moment. If, do we go for all five or do we lean in and say actually this is a season where we should be really pushing. Well, but I, I, my answer to that is always you need all five. I mean, like, the problem is if you, I mean, there might be seasons where you might leverage on um, on, on certain functions um, as majoring, you know, clearly. Um, but but we, we should never, ever think that it should ever be just one because then we become precocious. Um, and then... That becomes the only single way which we try and resolve all our problems again. Mm. Only tool that you've got is a hammer, you know, then everything looks like a nail. So, um, but yes, I, I think that it is a moment right now. And it was actually, I think back into any crisis tends to awaken people very briefly, mind you, and we need to be very quick on this. But, you know, like in the time of uh, it's, it's September 11, mm. you know, in, in America, you know, church services went right up, you know. Religious attendance was very, very scaled high. It, it was very short-lived. <laughs> you know, uh, then I wonder whether that's because when they came to church, church hadn't changed enough to receive them. Yeah, yeah. They recognised yeah. they were there, and it was yeah. like coming to come to our show. Well, this is terrible. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, people go back to that one, but I wonder if there's something we can do in this moment that actually, when they do connect, we have an eye on them. But then, I, then the apostolic needs to come in and say, well, okay, so what's the container? Mm. So you've got these people coming to the Lord, but then where's the system that you're going to nurture and disciple them? You know, you know how's church coming out? So the church planting agenda, not just got a whole lot of converts, yeah. but how do we actually disciple those folks legitimately with responsibility for, for them? You know? So it does need to, I, I would just suggest that in any Thing you're trying to resolve just spin around and ask questions how does the apostle think of this one and think apostolically think prophetically how's it decisive on the moment calling people to a kairos what's the kairos now what's god saying to the world wow. you know what's the show about our economics uh those are big questions man we, we need to ask them so you know evangelists where's the good news here in a bad news situation what's the good news virus i'm i'm very interested in that by the way learning from the virus. Yes. You know, yeah, we got this little thing, is invisible, no one can see it, it's taking the whole world down. And it scales like mad, it spreads like, by, you know, by touch and sneezing and thinking, oh my goodness, this is a metaphor. Yeah. So how the gospel should be an idea virus, right? Well, how do we learn from the virus? So I'm, uh, I'm manipulating scripture here, so forgive me. Oh, no, I, well, in, in, 
it says in, uh, in Proverbs, go to the virus, you sluggard, and learn from its ways. <laughs> <laughs> Proverbs so I think we should be adapted. <laughs> adapted, money. I think it's, the meaning is there. I think. Go to the virus, you sluggard. Yeah, well, I mean, last year um, for launch, you weren't able yes. to be with us. You were there the week before, but they were before. Yes. But it was go viral. Yes. We looked at yes. and, and how yeah. the gospel went from Jerusalem and how it would have stayed in Jerusalem if pressure hadn't come. Yeah, because those guys were going nowhere. <laughs> you know, it was like uh, you know, it, so it was it was like it took something to push out these unauthorized people to places like Antioch, and from there into the nations, etc. So we do have scriptural, like you say, history. Understanding that is like, it's happened before. And they had these mavens who went around like you are and others who were just peppering ideas and thoughts and getting stuff started, etc. So, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 You're a gift to the church, Alan. We really appreciate you. Uh, I I feel the same way about you, Anthony. (laughs) Delaneous. Um, no, no, I, I, Dems and myself are exceedingly fond of you. And, um, yeah, we just admire you very much and your story and, you know, the kind of genuineness. Yeah, so feel very, very similar, brother. Yeah, bless you. Thank you so much. Um, Alan, I'd love to do this again sometime. Then we can kind of unpack this even more and look at different things. Just, I feel like this one we've reframed a little bit on church, but I know that in the book it, we're looking at how we reframe God and see him bigger and uh, and then also how we effectively always see people and how we can engage with those like those people who are the pilgrims who don't think that the church has got any connection point to them so yeah. would you be up for doing this again and we could lean into some of those yes let's do it yeah yeah sure and we got to you know we, we're still heading to kind of have a meeting maybe hopefully and yeah, November, yeah. But we'll be at least online, won't we? We're, at some, least that. But we might. We might. Who knows? Something has to happen. We keep getting emails off people actually asking, "Is it going to happen?" Because they love it. So we, we've got. Yeah, but we just got to do. I, just, I saw that in Germany, they just opened them up. Some churches, but they've said you're not allowed to sing in them, which is uh, an interesting. I heard that. Yeah, it's, it's a strange isn't it? thing, isn't it? It's I like singing. Singing is like. You, you know, it's bringing out things from deep within your lungs. Yeah, yeah. bringing yeah. out the virus. So you, you can stay. The caged bird cannot sing. <laughs> I think you just need a hazmat suits. You know, just hand them out at the door. Yeah. <laughs> they have a kind of mask. It should be funny, wouldn't it? Right. Oh dear. Right. Well, we'll 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 meet again one way or the other. Okay, well, the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you so much for um, the time we've been able to spend together. Give my love to Debs, and thanks for all that you're doing for the church in the nations. Uh, we thanks, love you. Thank you. Likewise, all the very best. Okay. Take care. Yeah, God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Future Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, listen back with your team and share it. Further thoughts and resources can be found at antonydelaney.com.